0: Rain of Troy hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I
1: blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there?
0: Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that rave line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 443, coming to you on Wednesday, September 7th. We're going to look forward to Saturday night's clash between the USC Trojans and the Stanford Cardinal at... Stanford Stadium in Palo Alto, uh, 4.30 p.m. on ABC. It is the number one uh, broadcast team. It's going to be uh, Kirk Herbstreet uh, and, and all those guys, and it's going to be a big matchup for USC, the first Pac-12 game of the Lincoln-Riley era. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at MichaelCastFS. Alicia, my co-host, is at Penguin of Troy. Together, uh, Reign of Troy is at Reign of Troy at uh, on Twitter. Facebook, Facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at com. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co host here in the Reign of Troy studio, Alicia D'Aratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, I am back. We are back. It is another episode of Reign of Troy Radio. Uh, we're going three a week right now previews, uh, Fallout episodes, and of course, Car cash. You had your first Car Cast over the weekend after USC's big win over Rice. How was it?
1: It was great. I mean, I was kind of giddy. It was it was a fun game to watch and a fun game to car cast about. So yeah, more to come, please. Please.
0: Yeah, quite the quite the performance for SC winning uh, 66-14. fourteen. Sixty-six points the most Trojans have scored since two thousand and eight when they beat Washington State. Sixty-nine nothing, a big number. Uh aided of course, three picks, sixes, two two of those coming to start the second half and really kill off the game. Uh, Alicia, I I just want to add my thoughts on the rice game really quick here, since I wasn't able to do that. Uh, You so eloquently had plenty of thoughts. I thought you were great on, on your two solo pods. That's what you're supposed to do to an inferior team, right? Like case in point, do that, like beat them uh make it clear that you are the better team take advantage of all the opportunities that you get um it was the, the perfect week 1 for SC uh they they surely weren't perfect in, in any in every aspect of the game especially on defense uh there were spots where rice had a lot of success on the ground i think in the first half they averaged 6 yards a carry uh, that's not what you want Uh, But at the same time, they were able to make big plays on defense when they needed it, and they made sure that they beat them down and got uh, reps for the second and third teamers. That's what you want. That's what SC hasn't done uh, in recent years, and it was the perfect start for the Lincoln-Riley era.
1: Yeah, how many times have we seen a season opener that even USC had success in that they still only managed to score thirty some odd points? Yeah, exactly. And the opposing team still managed to score you know twenty some odd points. So yeah, sixty six to fourteen. The only thing you could have asked for more from would be just that Rice didn't have that success, the the, the successful drives that they did early in the game. Mm-hmm. But even then, when your defense comes up with turnovers like that you got to credit the defense because that's a skill. Not every USC team has had that skill. So uh, certainly I, I last year's defense didn't have that skill. I was looking up turnover uh, stats the, for, for the over-under. And, um, well, maybe not for, for the research, but USC was like eighth in the Pac-12, tied for eighth in the Pac-12 with, with turnovers last year. So that is a really good start against an inferior opponent that USC made look entirely inferior. You can't
0: can't complain. Yeah, SC did their job. They yeah. did their job absolutely.
1: And more than that on offense. They did their job and more than that on offense.
0: Yeah, I, I was I don't want to speak ahead of turn of the over-under stuff, but uh I was looking up stuff. The the seven third down attempts USC had against Rice, the fewest since going one of six against Idaho in twenty fifteen.
1: Huh? Well, that's a fitting matchup, too, because Idaho is sort of on the level of where this Rice team is. And uh, and that's, again, that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. And USC converted most of those early third downs as well. So mm-hmm. you know, all of those early third downs as well, because they didn't have an unsuccessful offensive drive until the second half.
0: Yeah, and that, that's what you want to see out of this new uh, new look offense for the Trojans under Lincoln Riley. Uh, As always, thanks for joining us over on YouTube. If you're watching this live on YouTube, we will be back after the game on Saturday. SC play Stanford again at 4.30. I think the way we're going to do that, probably expect us to go live about 8.30-ish, probably about 20 minutes, half hour after the game or so. Uh, So look for us there after the game on Saturday night for the CarCast. And uh, Alicia, let's just get into... Uh, the news bit here ahead of USC and, uh, Stanford, um, not much news because USC and Lincoln Riley are keeping things close to the best. Um, that is what college football is these days. Uh, injury news is not going to be reported on, uh, whether it be from the team or from the outside. Um, there was a little bit of, uh, injury observation, if you want to call it that, um, Uh, from Tuesday's practice, but Lincoln Riley pretty much shut it down that there's not much to gain from that. I mean, to, to take away from that, even though, uh, it was seen that Relique Brown had, it was wrapped up uh, with his ankle and moving around. Okay. But that was reported, but beyond that, Lincoln Riley had no, no new information.
1: Yeah. And that media blackout is going to mean that the, the people at at practice can't even report like, that a player like Relique Brown was suited up for that practice. Um, I mean, we can still sort of add on that. We can still comment on that because it's, it's out there in the universe. And that's a really good thing. Just that Relique Brown was there at practice and practicing. So uh, I, I, you know, that great, great, great news on Relique. I was worried that it was going to be like the kind of sprain that, was going to have him out for a few weeks. And this is clear, like to me, it's clear if he has his ankle wrapped up and is practicing, this was a very, very low-grade sprain or it was more like a, an ankle twist or a tweak or something like that. So I you couldn't be more happy. I would prefer that USC not need to use Raleigh Brown a ton against Stanford. If you can protect him physically in that game, then that's great. But he is a weapon, and if you need him... To have him available against Stanford theoretically is a huge plus.
0: Yeah, Relic was a huge, uh, you know, piece of the of the game on Saturday against Rice. You look at everything that he he put together. Uh, uh, Thirty six rushing yards, but really it was about what he could do with the ball in his hands. All told, uh, receiving he was two for forty, uh, so that's seventy six uh, total all purpose yards. He did everything that you want to see from a freshman. We talked about it last week in our preview. Could he sort of have that Stephen Carr breakout game like we saw against uh Western Michigan? How, how do you think it compares? I think it's not quite the same in which he didn't have the, you know, the 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 yardage and the and the the two touchdowns like like Stephen Carr had but pop the Heisman pose? That's something. I mean, he he
1: impressed the way that uh, that that Stephen Carr did. Yeah. Even though he didn't, I think Stephen Carr broke a long, a couple of long touchdowns actually. So even though even though he didn't have those kind of plays, I, I think that you could just see there's something about a player that stands out even in that moment. We saw it with Ronald Jones. We saw it with Stephen Carr. And obviously, Stephen Carr's career didn't go the way that Ronald Jones' car- career did, and and that was unfortunate. But there's just something, there's something else, and uh, and yeah. and that was just visibly obvious, even if the production wasn't at the same level as a Carr Rojo like debut performance. The the same vibe was still was still there for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I was listening to the game while driving, uh, essentially on the Oregon Trail, uh, I eighty four eighty to whatever it is uh, going through uh, rural Idaho and listening to uh, Pete Arbogast. And he was talking a lot about making the comparison to Adory Jackson. And yeah, I think there's elements of that when you see that he can do things on both sides of the, of the offense in terms of the run game and the pass game. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do uh, this week. If he's able to play, uh, we'll see that more going forward uh, on Saturday. Uh, Dajon Benton also left uh, the the game Saturday, had a wrist injury, shouldn't be out long. Uh, again, that's about all we have in terms of injury news at all because SC has sort of put a blackout on that kind of stuff, uh, reporting from practice or, or otherwise. So um, one of the things you wanted to bring up, Alicia, to continue on the running back front is Travis Dye. He, was, he had a hell of a quote um, Tuesday after practice, no blocky, no rocky. You loved that, didn't you?
1: I absolutely love it. I want it to get put on T-shirts by somebody. Travis Dye should, should get a, a T-shirt deal with some NIL crew to sell T-shirts that say no blocky, no rocky. Um, I absolutely love it, especially knowing what Travis Dye did in that game. It was more like, I think coming out of the game and the car had talked about the that big block that he had just in pass protection for Caleb Williams where he, ba- he basically pancaked a dude. And it was just awesome to see from a running back. But there was a tweet going around later in the weekend of Travis sort of swinging out of the backfield and just sort of like joining in a block um, that an offensive lineman was engaged in. And the guy just goes flying and the offensive lineman is able to pancake him. And Travis Dye continues on his route and catches, catches a pass and continues on and gets yardage. So that was beautiful as well because, you know... You you can imagine other running backs just doing the, okay, I'm supposed to just sort of like give this guy a little shove as I'm going, but like Travis just, just no prisoners, man. This man makes no prisoners. Uh, Josh Arena said Travis Dye made a rice cake out of that guy. Yes, yes, that's exactly what he did. That's beautiful. And um, to hear that mindset from Travis Dye, no blocking, no rocking, not only is it a catchy phrase, but it, it it speaks to the mentality that he brings. I mean there were some other quotes from him talking about Caleb Williams and how he can do everything, like walk your dog and wash your car and do all that kind of like he just seems like a cool guy. I'm not surprised that he seems to have fit in so well uh in the in the USC locker room so quickly. He to me should quickly become a fan favorite and that just more of that more of that. There's um there might be a no blocking no rocky themed uh over under pick later on today
0: we can't spoil all the over I, I know we're doing it but yeah um the the interesting thing is i thought that he could kind of fit the role of Vi but probably like he's Vi 2.0 yeah and then he starts saying these things and really winning your heart with all this and so uh i think that's confirmed he is he's Vi was your guy and now it's it's travis Dye.
1: travis travis my guy die
0: from buy to guy, my guy, no, buy, my. Wait, I went to
1: buy to die,
0: Vi to die. Yeah.
1: My, my guy Vi is now my guy, tie, my, my guy die. <laughs> Say that 10 times. My twice. guy die. My guy die. Yeah. <laughs> Love it.
0: Yeah. Uh, other news. Uh, last thing before we get into talking about SC and Stanford, SC has lost the commitment. The four star uh, safety Braxton Myers out of Capel, Texas. Um, Not completely a shock when you you look at the crystal ball stuff uh, over on 24-7 Sports. Uh, Plenty of crystal balls came in uh, a couple months ago, uh, or last month, August, um, from Steve Wiltfong, uh, Greg Biggins, David Johnson from Inside the Rebels. Uh, This is going to be a dogfight between SC and Ole Miss, uh, with Ole Miss certainly getting the the lead right now, uh, even though Myers is uncommitted from anyone having decommitted from the Trojans uh, today. Your thoughts?
1: This is a prime example of why commitments early on in the cycle are good, but they don't necessarily mean too much because there's just so much ground to cover for everybody in the recruiting game. USC could end up getting him back, but also USC could lose him to Ole Miss for a million reasons and that's just the way that recruiting goes, particularly that'll be highlighted in the NIL era, uh, but also when you're dealing with a situation where not only do recruits change their minds or get different feelings from different programs one way or the other, coaching staffs change their minds, start recruiting one guy over the other, um, families can put pressure on one way or the other. Uh, there's there's just so much that goes on until a guy signs you You can't really count those chickens,
0: yeah we we will see plenty of time uh until signing day, which is december uh, and then obviously February after that. uh Alicia, let's start talking about Saturday's game, four thirty uh u s c and Stanford. It is the rivalry renewed after a year off uh from Covid uh last year and then or sorry two years ago, and then s c played uh Stanford last year to no avail yeah
1: I wanted to forget about that game too Michael
0: (laughs) no mostly I was thinking like this is the first time SC's been up at the farm in four years that's crazy it's been a while yeah it's unheard of in this rivalry SC has not been uh up to Palo Alto since uh 2018 when JT Daniels was the quarterback uh it's been a really long time um and Stanford is a team who struggled mightily last year they went three and nine very not good. However, they had a couple of big wins—one over SC that ultimately was the end of the Clay Helton era—and then a win over the Oregon Ducks. What is it with with David Shaw getting these wins in big games? I saw I saw a um, a comment in here over on on YouTube from from Donnell Smith that said uh, that that Michael thinks high, highly of of Stanford and then and, and nobody knows why and i don't think highly of stanford i think high of david shaw's ability to win games he has no business winning and so in our game preview or our season preview i picked stanford to beat usc and i think this these next 20 30 minutes are going to be a you know exercise in trying to figure out will i continue with that prediction after week <laughs> 1 i don't know at this point um, you look at it. SC beats Rice 66-14. Stanford has a drubbing of Colgate and Rice and Colgate. Two things that, when you think about them, you don't think about college football. So true. Yeah, yeah. W- w- what are your What are your thoughts? Initial thoughts about Stanford going into week two?
1: <sighs> I wish they hadn't played Colgate. Like now they could have played Northwestern <laughs> at Northwestern and. We would then be underestimating them as usual, but I just wish it wasn't Colgate because we can't get a sense of where this team really is. And last year they were very bad. They were very bad, but they beat USC handily. So again, it's, 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 I think that's the biggest issue with, with evaluating the Stanford team. They weren't good last year. They return a lot of the guys from last year. Theoretically you get better, But this isn't EA Sports. You don't get experience points that automatically make you better just because you're returning for another year. So it's it's just very difficult to say anything about what Stanford will be this year. I mean, it's difficult to to speak on USC and and what the Rice game meant, but even less even less so because at least USC had a trillion transfers, and you can point specifically to coaching changes and. And transfers yeah. that really are going to impact the way that the team the tr- team trajectory goes. With Stanford, they have a couple transfers that could make a difference, but they also had guys transfer out that are very important that were very important to them last year. Even though they like the team was was not good at all, so it's difficult. I would rather not play Stanford in week two for this exact reason. But this is why USC plays Stanford in week two, and this is why it's always a difficult matchup for us to evaluate.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a different team that plays SC and Oregon from Stanford versus any other Stanford team. Um yeah. Stanford against UCLA, the same thing. Stanford has this <laughs> there's just on the board.
1: Uh, I, I
0: don't know what it is, but those three teams, David Shaw just has this ability to continuously get the best of. Um, and part of it for USC has been poor coaching, right? Like SC has been poorly coached. Um, I don't know that you can say that about Oregon. Uh, over the last decade, um, you know, some years better than not, what, what not, and and plenty of criticisms about you know Cristobal and, and and all that. But th- there were proven teams uh, that that Oregon has had and Stanford has somehow beaten them, uh, and SC when you least expect it uh, to lose to Stanford, SC, Stanford sort of does it. Uh, one of the stats I wanted to pull up, and I'm kicking myself I didn't pull up before this game is. Stanford as an underdog against SC and Oregon the last, you know, decade, I wanna say that they have a winning record. Seriously. Like that's why all of the, anything that I say is clouded strictly in that. It has nothing to do with my faith in Stanford as a football team in 2022. Cause I don't I don't have faith in, in Stanford. They were three and nine last year. Um they I, I'm not gonna say that they struggled against Colgate. It's Colgate, it's week one, it's whatever. Um, But that was a game in which they they led the game 28-10 in the third quarter. And I don't think that's not not overly impressive against Colgate. Like, yeah, this isn't the Colgate of the 1930s, you know, that was winning national championships. So, I don't know. Uh, Let's talk about the Stanford offense and what happens with them when they have the ball going up against USC's defense. Uh, Of course, led by quarterback Tanner McKee and a Colonel centennial. Uh, the uh, He had the two years off to take a Mormon mission. He is back. It feels like he's been at Stanford forever, but this is only year three for him. Uh, preseason, all-back 12, honorable mention. Uh, last year was a big year for him, 2,300 yards through the air, 15 TDs, seven uh, interceptions, as he really solidified the, the starting job uh, for Stanford at quarterback. Uh, this is not the Stanford of old. They are not a pound it running football team. That's going to run power over and over and over again. And this is why I think there's been a lot of talk about how rice and Stanford had a lot of comparables rice run uh, coached by Mike Blumgren, the former Stanford um, assistant under David Shaw. He's the one who coined intellectual brutality, um, which is the mindset that Stanford continues to this day. However, Stanford over the last like four or five years has really essentially developed into an air raid team. Uh, maybe not air raid team in the certain in the sense of like a, a David, I mean, a um, a Mike Leach air raid, but like a David Shaw air raid. Of this is going to be a pass heavy pro attack, um, in which they're going to want to throw the football a lot. We saw it back when they had AJ Costello throw into JJ or Sega Whiteside. This is a pass-focused team. They are not the running-focused team, so I would take away everything you think of as Rice as a precursor to this and take that out of, out of it. This is the team who, against Colgate last week, a team in which they could have probably run the ball on every play and still won the game, threw the ball most of the time.
1: Yeah, and, and that's something that we have to continue to remember is Stanford has transitioned away from their sort of traditional uh, David, David Shaw and and even going back to Harbaugh uh, what the, the way that they approach things, the offense has changed and even the defense has changed formationally. So that's another element of the unknown is how, how will they come into this? And, and does that bode poorly for USC when the secondary was the area that felt the most vulnerable against rice and obviously they got the interceptions but Tanner McKee is a significantly better quarterback than either of, of Rice's quarterbacks and i think that's where the matchup for me really gets highlighted is if Tanner McKee can get going USC's going to have some problems it's what happened last year Tanner McKee just went off and and he is capable of doing that and he's got a receiving core that is significantly better than the receiving core that Rice brought to the field uh, i do not expect them to drop those four passes the way that they did and set up interceptions the way that they did. Uh, so it'll just be much more of a challenge for this USC defense and a secondary that is still very much trying to get themselves together. And I think that when we talk about USC being vulnerable to Stanford, I think that's what we're talking about. Now, on the flip side, Statistically, Stanford's passing offense wasn't that great last year, except no. for when they played USC.
0: Yeah, so then they were world class in the, in that game, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it, it, let's go through some of these numbers. 113th is all last year's numbers because if you look at the stats for this year, it just includes the Colgate game and we're not paying attention to that. Yeah. So, 2021 offensive stats, 113th in scoring offense, 20.4 points per game. 122nd in total offense, 101st in yards per play, 126th in rushing offense, 117th in rushing yards per carry. That's 3.21 rushing yards per carry. 81st in passing offense. So that was their strength to be sure, but still 81st and 82nd in passer rating, which really is a reflection of the way that Tanner McKee had a very strong first half of the season, and then things just went very wrong for him. Yeah, uh, And the, he did miss two games. Uh, so, you know, things obviously didn't go super great for, for them at the, the second half of the season, but he really fell off a cliff in the second half of the season, and that hurt a lot of these numbers. So more things to take into account. There's some Jekyll and Hyde going on with this Stanford team as well, as, as obviously evidenced by being able to beat USC and Oregon, but losing to everybody
0: else. Yeah. And, and to me, it's not that they beat SC last year. It's the way it's the that way they, beat, they did it. Yeah. The, the way they beat SC last year. Yeah. You know, SC got drugged by three straight teams at home. Yeah. In a, in identical ways. In identical ways. But or- I think we both agree Oregon State and Utah are good football teams. Yeah. Utah especially. Stanford, not so much last year. So, yeah. like, why were they able to to drug SC in, in the same way? And particularly through through the air where – you know, Oregon State and Utah kind of did it on the ground. So uh, kind of a different way in that sense, but still got the same production out of it. And, you know, you you talk about Tanner McKee kind of falling off in the second half. The the interesting thing is you look at his numbers, even when he was good, Stanford was struggling last year. Well, Uh, you look at the the Notre Dame loss. I'm just going to read off some stats to you and then tell me what do you think a score would be in which a quarterback had these numbers? 20 of 25, 80, 80% completion percentage, uh, a touchdown, no picks, and a passer rating of 150.99. What, what, what do you think the uh, 172 yards of, of passing yards, what, what do you think the score would be in that game if that was one team's um, quarterback numbers? You'd think it would be
1: low. I mean, there's some efficiency there, but that's not enough yardage to have been moving it's not enough the field. yardage,
0: but you would think that maybe it's a close game. Yeah. Right? Low, low no, scoring. No, they, they lost 45-14 in that game. Yeesh, so yeah. even when Tanner McKee was on, they just still weren't doing anything. Yes. Um, well, why is that's that? That's a problem.
1: Why is that?
0: Because they weren't able to run the ball either.
1: Because they, they couldn't run the ball, and they couldn't protect McKee. They were 11th in sacks allowed last yeah. year. So the offensive line, which returns all five starters, by the way, was like the worst Stanford offensive line that there's ever been, certainly in this era of Stanford, which is, again, one of those interesting questions. They returned all five starters. Is that a good thing for them if those starters were bad last year? That is the question. Um, this is why I think so much of this game comes down to the matchup in the, um, in the trenches in the sense that we've we already know that if Tanner McKee has pressure on him he gets in trouble if he doesn't he can he can tear you up well yeah. guess what happened
0: SC Against got pressure Stanford. On, uh, uh, well they, they didn't got, get pressure on many, him last year how
1: many sacks did they have against Stanford
0: none SC Zero. couldn't get a sack until like week 8 last year yes so and then mean- you look at the rice game um and again I am throwing out the Colgate game, and I think that yeah. for a lot of ways you can throw out the Rice game too. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and <laughs> uh, split hairs between Rice and Colgate. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you look at the Rice game and what SC did on defense. It was about the pressure and the, 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 the four interceptions that they got uh, in that game. It, so many of those came from pressure, right? They weren't necessarily clean plays in which – a defender made a great play uh, in, that jumped out of nowhere and 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 snatched the ball from the receiver. No, they were plays that ended up breaking down because of the pressure. There was a tip tip ball because a, a, a pass was forced. Wiley Green forced to throw against his body and uh, on fourth down. Like those were the kind of things that you ended up seeing in this game in in that game last week. And those are the things that you're going to want to do to Tanner McKee this week. It's it's
1: going to be a huge huge game for the likes of Tuli Belotu, Corey Foreman, Romelo mm-hmm. Height, Nick Figueroa. USC needs these guys to show up, yeah, consistently. If that happens, if USC is getting consistent pressure, I think USC rolls in this game. If that doesn't happen, then this could end up being something akin to a shootout because the matchup to watch is absolutely what goes on with the offensive line. Stanford has playmakers. You, I like the look of EJ Smith. He looks like he has breakaway ability. Tanner McKee, He we've seen what he can do when he's comfortable. They have Elijah Higgins, uh, who was a preseason All-Pac 12, uh, honorable mention. Michael Wilson is back. He uh, was only able to play four games last year. Their leading receiver from two last TDs year. Two TDs last week. Two TDs against Colgate. Again,
0: it's Colgate. It's but-
1: Colgate, but still two TDs say that they're targeting him, right? Right. And then tight end Benjamin Urosek, who was the leading receiver for them last year and his preseason All 12 12 second teamer, uh, is back as well. So a lot of the weapons are back. They can do damage, but it all comes, can the ball get out of Tanner, Mah- can- Tanner McKee's hands quickly or without being disrupted? And that's why you know key 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 players. Uh, Gary Lewis brings up Eric Gentry. Um, I agree too. If when USC sends blitzes, when the linebackers are sent on blitzes, they have to get home more often and more consistently. And that's going to be the the thing that determines the 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 sort of way this game plays out. Because I think the only way Stanford wins this game is if they outscore USC. Yeah,
0: a hundred percent. I mean. I
1: mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, but, like, but no, when I say outscore USC, I mean like they win a shootout,
0: right? Yeah. And that that is the way for Stanford to win this game. And how are you going to do that? You're going to have to sustain your drives. You're going to have to uh, get the most out of your drives. And I'm sure that they saw a lot of film early on in the game for, of the rice game and kind of liked what they saw with SC uh, giving up plays on the ground and, and those sort of things. But Again, I don't know that it completely translates because Rice's game plan is significantly different than Stanford. So I don't know. I mean, if if Rice goes, I mean, Stanford goes back to wanting to to run the ball and establish the run more than anything. Maybe you see them go and try to do the things that Rice did with power runs and, and, and all that and try to force sc to correct the mistakes that they had from early on in the game last week
1: which they might try to do because it would seem to me that the way to stop this usc offense is to keep them off the field
0: yeah no that could sure that that could be the thing where they try to replicate rice's uh first three drives sure uh but again it's just it kind of counterproductive to what they were last year so yeah, yeah. i don't know i i, I don't know we're the thing about David Shaw is you end up seeing what you don't expect in week two.
1: Well, and that's the other the other thing is them playing Colgate meant like it's entirely possible it was only 28-10 against Colgate because they literally did not prepare for Colgate. They might have spent yes. this entire summer preparing for Lincoln-Riley.
0: I've, I've said it since December. Uh, David Shaw is spending the next nine months mm-hmm. getting ready for SC yeah. to make a statement. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's flip it over and talk about USC's. Offense against the Stanford defense. The Trojans were incredible last week. Uh, again, it was Rice. Rice's defense couldn't stop anything um, last year or last week. Um, and SD made him pay. Um, didn't have necessarily the, the total yardage output that you would have liked, but that was helped by four interceptions and a bunch of short fields, uh, including three pick sixes, in which they didn't have to score on offense themselves. Uh, 45 offensive points attributed to the Trojans. And you look at uh, Caleb Williams. He was just about perfect. Everything you wanted to see last week, he did um, the running game and the passing game both worked. Uh, everything was distributed. There wasn't one guy who kind of stepped above everybody. Kind of what we had talked about that they were going to spread the ball around a lot in the running, and the passing game. And you saw that Um, Taz Washington was a leading receiver, but, there wasn't one guy with a hundred yards. This was a completely different USC attack than you've seen before. And that was a breath of fresh air, right? Like this is what you want to see on the Lincoln Riley offense. When you consider that, that Stanford's defense last year was 106th in scoring 114th in total defense, 115th in yards per play, 127th in rush defense. Is there any reason to think that they could stop sc in in week two?
1: So on the last episode, I read a long uh, message from Marcelo where he was begging us, begging us to let go of our trauma related to Stanford and to just let it go and move on and not be afraid of them and defense is absolutely where I admit I am driven purely only by trauma because Stanford's defense is doo-doo sauce. And even looking back at last year, the the drubbing that USC got, the one thing that I think is easy for me to recall is that USC's off, USC's defense could not stop Stanford's offense, but USC's offense was shooting themselves in the foot so often that it didn't even matter that they couldn't like it. They couldn't keep up like that was USC master class in terms of shooting themselves in the foot uh, in the Clay Helton era, Absolutely. So now you look ahead to this matchup. And I think during the off season, when I was highlighting Stanford is like a danger, a danger spot for USC in week two, aside from knowing the offensive weapons that they have, Uh, it was very much trauma driving my Stanford always has a formidable defense, but that is flat out untrue. This defense is as Josh Arena just put in the chat, all caps, doo-doo sauce. There is only one player on this defense that is not, that is that, that, that is free of, of that sort of stain on him. And it's Kyle blue Kelly, the cornerback who is all pack 12 first team in the preseason He led the team with 10 pass breakups, two interceptions. He is a legitimate cornerback. Stanford has produced legitimate cornerbacks over the past few years. He is the next in that line. He will be able to give a challenge to whichever wide receiver that he is matched up with, be it Jordan Addison or Mario Williams or whoever else. The problem is, you need more than one shutdown corner to take care of this defense. You need a secondary that is loaded to deal with this defense and to deal with this offense. And they get Oklahoma safety Patrick Fields, who's a three year starter, who will solidify some of what they're doing in that secondary. But to me it's just not enough. There's just there's just not enough to make me believe that Stanford has any hope of stopping Caleb Williams in this attack. Especially when their running defense is so horrendous, they gave up 5.74 yards per carry last year. And guess what? They lost two of their best defensive defensive linemen in Thomas Booker and Dalen Wade Perry. So I, I can't even I can't even like imagine that they're gonna be able to do a ton to limit USC on the ground either. This is a horrendous matchup for Stanford. I think David Shaw might be able to prepare three years to face this USC team and still not be able to slow down this USC offense. I'm saying it now. The only way that USC doesn't put up a bucket load of points on this Stanford defense is if they revert back to the Clay Halton coach team that shot themselves in the foot on offense all the damn time. And I'm sorry, I'm not ready to say that Lincoln Riley's offense is capable of doing that yet. I think that at most you're going to have maybe a couple dumb turnovers that go against that go your way and stop you from scoring 50 points. That's the only way you say you don't score 50 points. I, I'm not trying to like get in my head, get ahead of myself, but do you see anything about this defense that scares you?
0: No, no. I, I think I, I think there's layers here, though. I, I no, absolutely, and I, I I think that there is no reason to think that Stanford is going to stop SC. Uh, throughout the game right none uh and where I, the only holdup that i have is don't assume that because sc scored on just about every drive against rice that they're going to score on every drive against everybody yeah absolutely I, that's overly presumptuous however stanford is really bad on defense last year and sc looks very good um and so yes i i think that this is as you should walk to being able to score forty points against this team, uh, if if given how effortlessly they they moved the ball last week against Rice. Again, it was Rice. I don't want to put too much eggs in that basket uh, and, and over overthink what Rice the Rice game was. But no, I, I don't think there's any reason to think that that Stanford can stop them. I think for me, it comes down to. If Stanford wins this game, it's one of two things. It's one, they can use; they can move the ball efficiently on USC's defense, catching SC off guard in the sense that this is a USC defense that is surely not a finished product uh, under Alex Grinch because how could they be? It's week yeah. two, and this is a transition year. It's year one under the new system, uh, under Lincoln Riley and all that stuff, but also c- getting SC in – Week two, uh, a week two hangover of year one as well, um, because again, this is an early on, a, an early road test and, and all those things. I wouldn't necessarily bank on that from happening, but when you put the two things together, I think it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a surprise if one side of the ball, fa- um, not necessarily failed, but struggled at some point, just because you can't expect both sides of the ball to be infallible on every single drive. Um, against every single opponent, right? Yeah, this Stanford isn't Rice in that sense. So, um, no, I I look at this. This is a terrible matchup, like you mentioned. USC, as long as they continue to have the balance that they have, that makes it really difficult to defend because if you're able to run the ball with Dye and Brown and all those guys, and throw the ball to Addison and all those different receivers, where do you start to defend this team? I don't know. I don't know. And the, the offensive line being a veteran offensive line that the Trojans have too, it makes it difficult. I don't know. I, I I almost want to see what happens when SC offense struggles to know what was the reason, what was, what were those causes, right? Like, yeah. Cause I, at this point I I can't picture it given that we've only seen a very small sample size.
1: Yeah. Um, Uh, Robert uh, Iraqi asked, do you guys think Stanford can win a, a shootout type game versus USC? I don't think they can.
0: I think, well, if, if they That's, win this game, it has to be a shootout. It, 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 well, but it is very
1: particular kind of shootout. It's not a 55 to 56 shootout. It's a sort of 34 to 35 situation where their offense has dominated time of possession so that they've limited the possessions that USC's offense will have. Mm-hmm. And then USC's offense uh, has some costly turnovers. I I feel like if, if you told me that Stanford beat USC and there wasn't a defensive touchdown or a spe- and or a special teams touchdown involved in that, then I think that um, that is that would be the only way it would be believable to me. I think that you have the, you have to have a situation where just something goes terribly wrong. See what happened at the end of LSU Florida State: a muffed punt, a very stupid pitch of the goal line, something like that. That just Makes things go wrong for you. And that's the only reason that Stanford stays in this. And then they get, you know, they get lucky at some point. So limit USC's offensive touches and get very lucky uh, or generate something. But like, even like I I wrote down here, the great equalizer could here could be turnovers. But Stanford was 11th in turnovers gained in the Pac 12 last year. They only had nine all season. USC was eighth in the Pac 12 in turnovers last year, turnovers gained, which is not good. But they had ten more than Stanford did, so
0: I mean it. It's a big, it's, difference.
1: It's a big difference. Like it would, when, it would. When
0: both, neither team played in a bowl game.
1: Yeah, it would be an incredible turnaround for Stanford to produce the kind of turnovers that they need. Which leads me to say again, special teams is the great equalizer. Then, and yeah. we don't know what what USC special teams is going to look like this year. So, if you told me what does it take for Stanford to win this game, things have to go real wrong for USC on special teams and. Caleb Williams will not have the ball in his his hands as often as as he needs to.
0: All right, let's go to over-under and play our favorite game of over-under. Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing
1: good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall.
0: See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is
1: true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but
0: it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks.
1: So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins.
0: Bingo. You can now turn your hoop's knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn ten bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Prize Picks lets you get on the action on more than thirty states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today use the code RAIN of Troy for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. That's the Prize Picks app
1: with the code RAIN of Troy for the first deposit match of up, up to one hundred dollars. Pick more, pick
0: less. It's that easy. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. Alicia, let's start with you. What do you got? What's your first over under of the week? USC and Stanford.
1: All right. This one sort of worked itself out really, really nicely uh, in terms of stats for picking this. I'm going 145.5 rushing yards for Stanford. It's a really nice choice because USC allowed 146 rushing yards to Rice. And last year, they gave up 141 rushing yards to Stanford. That was actually Stanford's second best rushing game of the season. They had 200 plus against Vanderbilt. Um, But USC's rush defense has not been great. There were clearly cracks against Rice. So is USC going to make Stanford look like the bad rushing team that they are? Or will uh, Stanford be able to move the ball on uh, on offense and, and on the ground?
0: I am going to take the under here. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford had, you know, maybe a little smidge of his success based on the Rice stuff, uh, force USC to show that they've adapted and can cover power and all those things. Um, at the same point, uh, that's not what, stanford wants to do this year that's not what stanford wants to do last year or the year before um they they want to throw the football uh and get those backs involved in the passing game as well so i think if stanford um has success it's going to be through the air and if stanford doesn't have success it's going to be because they can't run either so yeah this is this is a easy under pick for me all right what do you got uh my first one over under 68 and a half Rushing yards for USC quarterback Caleb Williams. He had 68 last week against Rice in week one. His career high is 88 against Texas last year, only on four carries. Uh, He's been in the 60s on several occasions. That's kind of his sweet spot. 60 against Western Carolina last year, 66 against CCU, 63 at Kansas, 67 against Iowa State, 68, of course, last week against Rice. 68 and a half is the line. Can he top that against Stanford? Uh, of the r- running quarterbacks that Stanford played last year, the only one to do it was Jaden Daniels, who had 76 yards. What do you got?
1: I'm going to go with the under on that one. Um, that's okay. a lot of rushing yards for a quarterback, even though he obviously yeah. had that really nice total against Rice. I think he absolutely could get there if things just play out the way that uh, the way that they potentially could, where you know Stanford doesn't get. Great pressure, but they flush Caleb out of the, the pocket and then he just goes, goes to town downfield. Uh, but but I think it's just more likely for it to be under and like you're looking at that sort of like 35 to 45 kind of range uh, for me to what I would expect from Caleb in any game this year. The fact that Jaden Daniels was the one that topped this and still not quite and still just slightly over 68 is to me a reflection of Jaden daniels and how basically the only yeah. the only thing he has in his locker is to run
0: yeah i mean dtr had 30 carries or 30 yards but the other thing is sacks are involved in in this too yeah uh, so, and so that probably played a, a role yeah uh, for a lot of those guys last year so uh under is your pick uh which locks me into the over on caleb williams rushing yards uh what's your next over under pick
1: all right, here it is. I got one point five travis die no blocky, no rocky moments. uh, I would credit him with two no blocky, no rocky moments against rice. the devastating pass block that uh that he had uh to to keep Caleb Williams clean mm-hmm. and then the the setting he basically assisted a pancake on a pass that he caught uh as well so I I I think we all know what a no blocking no rocky moment looks like, and I'm setting it at 1.5. Do you think he can match his two from Rice or above?
0: I I kind of expect Travis Die to get more run in week two because uh, I think week one uh, was about getting everyone involved, and maybe I'm just assuming too much, but I, I feel like Die is is running back one. Um, and at that point, he's going to get more of the, the load in week two. Having said that, I think predicting more than uh, predicting <laughs> two is a lot on, on one of these kind of things. So uh, give me one uh, or give me the under, which will be under one and a half. Uh, no blocky, no rocky moments. Just because even if you have a great block, I don't know that becomes a no blocky, no rocky moment in that. A lot of those things are unseen until um someone breaks down the game a week later or whatnot um, and i
1: think that's the key thing about a no blocking no rocky is people are talking about it like yeah either immediately or on replay or like it gets highlighted at some point
0: yeah 100 percent. yeah uh my next over under is 0.5 tanner mckee interceptions uh i struggle to put this line at 0.5 or 1.5 uh and i'll tell you why because Uh, The Trojans intercepted Rice four times last week, including three pick sixes. But Tanner McKee had two uh, uh, touchdowns and one interception last week against Colgate, um, which might look like he's prone to throwing interceptions. But last year in 10 games, he only had interceptions in three of them. Uh, They kind of came in bunches, three at ASU, two against UW, and two against Cal. Cal. Uh, Does he throw an interception against USC on Saturday? 0.5 Tanner McKee interceptions is the line.
1: Hmm. Interceptions are tricky. This secondary took advantage of tipped balls a lot. Um, We have a a listener over under later that's going to hit on that. And I think my answer to that one is going to inform my answer to this one. I'm going to go with over. I don't know that it'll be like two, but I do have a decent feeling that USC will have a disruptive player too. that we've seen now that the guys in the secondary are in the right position. So I'll go over on that.
0: Yeah, I probably should have put the line at one and a half, but it's a little too late.
1: Yeah, but one and a half. Well, I guess because he does they do come in bunches, but like, yeah, yeah, predicting two turnovers in any game is
0: tough. Yeah, for sure. Uh next one. Uh your last one. What do you got? All
1: right. I got 0.5 sacks for Corey Foreman. In my notes here, I have Stanford's offensive line is bad. Um,
0: no more detail than that. Just, no more detail
1: than that. Just, they're just, just that. they're bad. They gave up a ton of sacks last year. I already mentioned that. Corey Foreman is an extremely athletic player who was making mince meat out of the, the right tackle that he faced against Rice. So I think he has potential to go ham in this game. But my big criticism of Corey is. I think he can tighten up his technique sometimes and decision-making. I think that he needs to take some better angles at times. He needs some help from the rest of the defensive line to make sure that the quarterback can't run away from him when he does get through. So I don't know that I'm like 100% sold on Corey Foreman being like the sack guy now, but this could be the game for him to, to feast.
0: I'm taking the over strictly for one reason. Romello height uh got ejected last game.
1: He's he's he doesn't have to sit out though. It was a first half ejection. It was the first half. Yeah, I thought it was, it was... just before halftime.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, okay, good correction. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say that that could end up playing into playing time. Well, yeah. Um, e- either way, I thought Foreman was better than Height last week too. Um, and so yeah, I'm gonna take the over. Um, I think he he's able to get to McKee at, at least once. Stanford was sort of middle of the road in terms of sack stuff last year as, as an offensive line, but they weren't a good offensive line in general as we talked about it. So um, give me the over, which means that Foreman does get a sack. Uh, last one for me to set for you um, over under 11 and a half third down attempts for USC. As I mentioned earlier, the Trojans had seven third down attempts against Rice. No team in America. Last year, last week had fewer in week one. The Trojans are the only team to have seven or fewer against an FBS team. Miami, who also had seven, played Bethune Cookman, uh, an HBCU team that uh, plays an, FBS, an FCS. Um, last year, Oklahoma averaged eleven point three third down attempts per year, per game, and of the FBS teams that played thirteen games, only K State and Coastal Carolina had fewer. 11.5 is the line for USC this week against Stanford. Third down attempts. What do you got? That's tough. That's tough. A lot of things play into this. There's uh, so many things. That number of possessions. This. Uh, if you're really good, you're not necessarily going to face third downs.
1: Whether or not you're you're running the game, running more often or passing more often. A lot of things, yeah. Um, whether or not you're scoring on big plays. I'm going to go
0: with... Uh, 11 and a half third down attempts. You
1: gotta, I'm going to go over. Um, yeah. I think that the growing pains will come... Also, if there aren't growing pains and USC just blows them out, we're going to see a fourth quarter with Miller Moss and backups in. And they're more likely to end up with third down attempts that might boost this number up. So, like, the starting offense could uh, end up with, you know, with eight nine or so, and then you get a few third downs from late on in the game. So, yeah, I'll go over. I, I'm very curious to see the outcome of this one uh, in particular.
0: Yeah, uh, me me too. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what all comes of it. Uh, Last over-under we got from Gary Lewis here in the chat on YouTube. One and a half passes batted down by USC middle linebacker Eric Gentry. What do you got?
1: Yeah, so Gary didn't give a number. I decided to go with 1.5 on this because he said he was certain that Eric would get one, at least one. So I'm going to set that line at if if we're confident that he's going to get at least one. Will he get two instead? Um, I am going to go with over on this wow. because okay. I think that would just be fun.
0: So what are you constituting a, pa- a pass batted down?
1: Um, uh, I mean, a, a pass, uh, let's go with pass breakup. One where he gets his hand on a pass. So I would say if he gets it, his hand on a Does it have pass. to
0: be noted as a pass breakup in the stat book? Because he had zero last week in, in the stat book. That's only had two as a team. Shane Lee had one, uh, and, uh, Makai Blackman had one. I, cause I'm going to take under, cause these things never get noted down. In yeah.
1: Stat books. Yeah. Okay. I, I think we default to stat book okay. unless we clearly see it happen twice and we both take a note no, that, of that's, that's that fair. happened twice, regardless of what the, yeah,
0: you know, that, that, that is yeah. fair. All right. Uh, let's get to our game predictions. Uh, Alicia, uh, Bill Connolly's numbers. And again, our little weekly <laughs> pretext of Bill Connolly's numbers have no idea what to do with USC.
1: The, the, I, I swear, Bill Con- Connolly's numbers. I love SP plus. I think it's a very valuable service, but I think Bill C would even tell you.
0: He has, he, he's mentioned that it, it, This is not the year to use his numbers to talk about us. Well,
1: not yet, because eventually his numbers his numbers. I think it's
0: usually by week seven. Yeah, by
1: week seven, there is no more 2021 input in anymore. It's all 2022. So until week seven, I think you disregard SP+. No offense, Bill Connolly, we love you. But I think the numbers can't really speak to what is real here because, yeah.
0: Yeah, because there's too much roster turnover and all that. Uh, Anyways, his numbers say, I see 3425 over the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, The Vegas line as of uh, today when we put together this rundown has the Trojans by 8. Alicia, what is your game prediction?
1: I am going with USC 40, Stanford 25. I think USC will break through for a couple... I'm sorry, Stanford will break through for a couple scores. I think EJ Smith will have a long touchdown I think Tanner McKee will have a couple of of nice big throws. But in the end, USC will not have an issue with this Stanford defense and win by a solid 15-point margin. And that's just because I think that there are bound to be one or two mistakes that just happen that stop them from scoring 50.
0: Okay. Uh, You guys know I picked Stanford to beat USC in the preseason ranking I and mean, preseason uh, game, uh, predictions and all that um, in a vacuum. There is no reason to pick uh, Stanford to beat SC.
1: Would you say there's no football
0: reason? I would say there's no football reason to say that Stanford should beat SC this week. Here's the argument. <laughs> um, it's David Shaw. David Shaw does weird things against teams that he has no business winning against. Um, the SC teams in which Stanford has been heavy underdogs, he somehow gets wins. Yes, that's against Clay Helton. We can talk all day about that. You all know that. But he does it against Oregon too. And he's done it against UCLA. And he's done it against like other Washington. He's had upset wins against like he does this all the time. And it makes no sense because Stanford has been terrible in just about any other game. For some reason, in the big games, Stanford comes up to play. You combine this with it's week two of year one. There is a lot of things that, that is new. I think that as good as ever, SC looked last week against Rice, it's still a new operation. Things are still in progress. The defense, uh, as you saw last week, not a finished product. Um, they got four picks and they they made the most of a really bad team. And you'd love to see that. And that says everything about what this team has not done in the past, um, but there's, it's still a not-finished product, and that's okay. It's year one, and it's week one. That's what it was supposed to be. Um, and you look at what Oklahoma has done in early-season tests of late. Oklahoma's had plenty of early-season tests of late. Last year, week three against Nebraska, they won 23-16, a Nebraska team that was garbage. They near They won by a touchdown. A week later, a West Virginia team that's not very good, they won 16-13 at home. The uh, COVID season. Week two, their first game against an FBS team, Kansas State. At home, they lose 38-35. 2019. Um, Let's see. 2019, pretty good. No issues in 2019. 2018. Uh week 3 at Iowa State they they win 20 uh 37 27 uh they needed uh OT to play Army in in September at home like what I'm saying is to me Oklahoma progresses under Lincoln Riley as the season goes on I think that's the normal thing to do uh and I the re- realistically I'm not going to look like an idiot and go back on my prediction from a week ago uh Stanford 43 SC St- St- Stanford 45, SC 43. Again, no football reason. And any other thing, I'm picking SC to win here. See. Um, I, I just, I, I'm locked in. I can't go back and look you're, like an.
1: You're overthinking it. You're trying That's to make fine. yourself not look like, like an idiot by making a pick that makes you look like an idiot.
0: No, I get that. I okay. no, I'm aware of
1: that. As others have pointed out in the chat, I get where you're coming from. But, 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 there's a huge but here. That Nebraska game the West Virginia game, the games early on in the season where they struggled, they didn't have lane. a set quarterback. Caleb Williams was not playing; he did not 100%. play in those games. Caleb Williams losses, and and Kansas State another six point win, only one pass for Caleb Williams. Yeah, Caleb Williams losses in twenty twenty one were to number five Baylor on the road, and to number seven Oklahoma State on the road. Yeah, so I think it's a Baylor whole, was thirteen
0: at the time, but yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's a. a, I think it is a whole new ball game with Caleb Williams. I agree. I think he's different. I think he's built different, and I just, I just don't see Stanford being able to, um, being able to put up forty-five points. I just don't see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, realistically, I, I, I agree. You know this. All right. Uh, I, I, I made my bed and I'm sleeping. You,
1: you very much. Yes. <laughs> all
0: right. Uh, let's go to the mailbag and get all of your questions. Uh, we got an email from John. you want to read it, Alicia?
1: Yeah. Hi, Alicia and Michael. I read Evan Desai's piece on top two USC football players, Jordan Addison and Tuli Tupolotu, getting NIL car deals. I wondered about the tax implications and ran across this insightful article. In it, they use this example that seems familiar. Katie Davis is a CPA and partner in James Moore and Co, a Gainesville Gainesville, Florida based firm that offers tax consulting, 401k auditing and HR services. As a hypothetical, Davis applied the IRS annual lease value table to estimate for on 3 sorry, to estimate for on 3 the total tax due for someone who's a California resident who attends school and earns non-resident income sourced in Ohio, who drives for the entire calendar year a car valued at $200,000 whose services aren't sourced to another state who hasn't earned any other taxable income and who has no deductions. That was a whole sentence. Sorry. Um, this is an extremely specific hypothetical scenario where an individual's only taxable compensation is the use of a luxury vehicle. The total tax due would be roughly $13,000. Davis said after doing some back of the napkin math. So have you heard if USD players are getting good tax advice from the athletic department or Boulevard? Do you think players will get into big, t- big IRS troubles if they haven't put aside sufficient money to cover their NIL related federal and state income taxes? Thoughts? Fight on, John, in Oakland. Uh, thank you for sending the email, John. I think this is an interesting case. I, if I would be very surprised if Boulevard, a, 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 um, what do we call it? an NIL sort of uh, a collective in collective plus, whatever they're calling themselves, setting up players with deals doesn't also take it upon themselves to make sure that, that players are educated about tax implications because the worst thing for Boulevard and for USC at this point would be the first player that gets in tax trouble and then says, F you USC, you didn't prepare me for this. Like that should be job number one. They should have all sorts of educational stuff. They should have all of that worked out for each player, given their specific s- situation, every time an NIL, an NIL deal is discussed. So if they aren't doing that, then shame on Boulevard and shame on USC. Um, I wonder if there's some sort of set-off, some sort of workaround, some sort of this, that, or the other thing that they're, that they're probably trying to do. Um, to make sure that tax stuff isn't uh, as uh, as harmful there, but yeah. I do not know what those things could be, so we'd need something else.
0: to yeah, figure I, that out. I don't know. And anytime I see four hundred one k auditing and HR so, <laughs> services yeah. in a in a sentence, I start my eyes start to glaze over. Yeah. Um, I I assume that this is one of those things that easily could be forgotten about until the end. Um, I also have to imagine that if there's um things like collectives and whatnot, the the odds probably are there it ends up that there's enough cash in to cover the taxes. But again, I'm who I I'm the last person in the world to talk about that.
1: So Josh Arena in the chat says that the Parastile podcast has a new episode on today with the folks from Boulevard and they talk about this very topic. So that's a podcast yeah. I'm gonna go listen to, and if you uh John in Oakland or anyone else if you're curious. Uh hearing from the Boulevard people um directly, I think is is the best way to sort of figure out where yes. everything's falling here.
0: 100 percent Uh let's go to a Slack message we got from our friend Darlene who says thoughts on the subtle switch of the fight on uh decal on the back of the helmet to cardinal and gold instead of white uh and cardinal. I didn't notice that it for practice before the game and also don't see mad at people mad at it for once. Which is refreshing. Alicia, did you see the picture of this?
1: I saw the picture, which surprised me because I did not notice it in the slightest at any point during the game. And normally, I'm pretty, no- I, I notice uniform things that are different during the game. Yeah. Uh, I noticed immediately Caleb's sort of sleeves and the way that they sort of looked with him and all the, the look he was going for, all that kind of stuff. Didn't notice that, this at all. In the picture, not a huge fan. I don't think it's I think my it's favorite terrible. look. But like the fact that I didn't notice it during the game means it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> so I, probably yes. Yeah.
0: It, it's one of those things, it's like the collar of the road the road collar. Yeah. I don't care for it. I don't not my thing. Um, but it's it's fine. Like if that's what's gonna be the difference, then whatever like it could be so much worse. It this is in that category yeah. for me. I don't like it. I, I don't think it looks that great, but like whatever. This isn't the a hell to eye on, not a big deal. Um, shrug
1: yeah but yeah, thank you for the message darling.
0: yeah absolutely let's go rapid fire on the youtube questions and then we'll wrap this thing up josh says uh ryan abraham <laughs> the hairstyle podcast says the quote stanford is but what say you uh is he high for all of his food analogies or maybe is he onto something uh i mean alicia you had a similar thing to say about stanford in this game in, in this pod They're doo-doo sauce um the thing
1: here though is that Sanford can be butt, Stanford can be doodoo sauce, and they can still beat USC in a very sort of specific scenario that is within the realm of possibility, even if it isn't the most likely. So
0: Yeah. Uh Donnell Smith says: question: if Lincoln Riley was still coaching Oklahoma and they played Stanford, would you still pick Stanford to win? No. Because to me, this is all situational-based. And if Lincoln Riley was still at Oklahoma, he'd be in what year six at Oklahoma and uh, Stanford doesn't do these things out of conference. Uh, so no, I, I I wouldn't pick Stanford because there'd be no reason to uh, Stanford ends up winning these weird out of conference games. Cause I think a David Shaw puts a hell of a lot of weight into winning the conference over anything nationally. Uh, and B this is the second game. The first conference game under Lincoln Riley with a roster that has a billion new players on it. If, if you're going to come out and struggle, it's going to be a game like this rather than a game in year six or seven or whatever it was of of him at Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I I would agree that I wouldn't be talking about, like, I would be very much more confident in Oklahoma beating um, Stanford under those circumstances than I am about USC beating, beating Stanford. And I'm, at this point, pretty confident.
0: You're, you're pretty confident. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alex yeah. says, uh, what do you think Stanford for their role in USC hiring Lincoln Riley? Uh, what, what, what am I missing there?
1: So Stanford destroyed USC at the Coliseum oh, last yeah. year. Oh okay. yeah. USC yes. fired Helton.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, I won't give Stanford too much credit for that because I think Helton was, um, not long for this world as a coach at USC and i think that lincoln riley was clearly the target so whether they hired helton in week 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 9 i think that usc still ends up with lincoln riley
0: you know this is a conversation for another day but i'm to the point where i don't think that firing clay helton in week 2 mattered it didn't cuz a i think clay was always going to get fired last year no matter what happened yeah um but on top of that i don't think that Getting the head start to work on Lincoln Riley, I I don't know that 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 ultimately ma- mattered. I mean, maybe I, I I guess how willing
1: were they to get the start on Lincoln Riley? I, I guess what I'm saying is Helton was still the coach.
0: I think that they they think they could have still gotten Lincoln Riley if they would have fired him after the Notre like, Dame game.
1: Like if they fire Helton on a Thursday or on a Monday. And then that Sunday, the next Sunday, six days later, Gottling and Riley, like, I think that's possible, but I think they clearly had to do groundwork. And the question would be how willing were they to do groundwork when Helton was still employed? That's my yeah. only question, but we don't have that answer because we can't speak yeah. to the people that everyone involved in that would tell you that there was no groundwork done. So,
0: <laughs> right. you know, let's go to a question to f- from Richard for years, we consistently thought this is this is the year Stanford will inevitably slip up and reveal that Shaw is mediocre. And season after season, that didn't happen. And I think that sort of conditioned us into thinking Stanford will exceed expectations and Shaw is great. But now it's pretty clear that they have sustained a downturn. At what point does Stanford move on from, from David Shaw uh, would have been unthinkable years ago?
1: This is a tough question because I think that Stanford could ride David Shaw until he no longer won. Wa- like I've always thought that David Shaw would retire before Stanford fired him or David Shaw would decide to leave before Stanford fired him. So I think it would take some really, really significantly like zero win seasons, multiple years in a row for Stanford to, to move on. I think they, I think the cultural fit between David Shaw and Stanford is so strong It's just hard to imagine.
0: Yeah. So they haven't gone to a bowl game in each of the last three seasons. Um, I think what it would take is back to like two or three really bad seasons. And we haven't seen that yet Uh, because I, yeah, I, I think that David Shaw could, could ride this thing out forever. Um, 2019, he was four and eight 2020, the COVID season. He was four and two. Well, that's that's more the than good enough in the COVID season. That's good, right? It's yeah. a winning record four and two. Uh, last year three and nine. So if he comes back this year and is six and six, then they're happy. I think they're fine. They're they're the they. He needs it he resets. Needs, everything he
1: needs like an eight win season every three or four years, and I do not think they will fire him.
0: Yes, uh, because we have to understand the the overall expectations for what Stanford football is. And I think it's going to a bowl game every other year Mm -hmm. and winning a Pac-12 championship once every 15. Yeah. And David Shaw, I think can get you that no matter what.
1: I mean, I guess the question is, is there any point at which Stanford feels like they can upgrade on David Shaw? And I'm not sure that answer that, that Stanford ever comes to the answer that they can. Yeah. hundred
0: percent. Last question uh, comes from Josh and Stanford played Colgate Do you think the farm will be as fully prepared to face this SC squad uh, like they would have if they played a P5 team in week one?
1: I mean, I guess there's a reality where they are overconfident having blown out Colgate. But there's also my firm belief that they have spent the last, like you said, nine months preparing for USC. So did they even need to? play a power five team
0: yeah i i don't know i think i think they are putting all their eggs in the basket of this game just like we've seen them do year after year uh even when they played northwestern what was it last year they played northwestern or two years whenever it was yeah Uh, and they yeah it's always this is this is the one uh that david shaw prepares for so we will see it saturday night uh 4 30 p.m uh over on the abc uh uh kirk Uh, Herb Streets and Chris Fowler on the call, Uh, the big team from ABC. So that's exciting. Uh, USC and Stanford. And then right after the game, we'll be over here on the YouTube with a live CarCast giving you our thoughts uh, after the game USC and Stanford. So uh, until then, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Alicia on Twitter is at Penguin of Troy. I'm at MichaelCastFS. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) <laughs> um, and uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Rain of Troy uh, on, on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook.com slash Rain of Troy email address, Rain of Troy at fanside.com. Last little note meant to mention uh, our phone number t- um, is offline and yeah. we, we've had a mishap and we're trying to get it back online. So before we tell you a new phone number, we're just not going to say the phone number for right now. Yeah. We're trying to get that online and hopefully we can get it online. Uh, uh by game day and then be able to tweet it out on on socials we'll
1: we'll either either have the old phone number back or we will have to share a new phone number with you yes. and michael and i will be very very sad about that because we like that phone number yes. but uh we'll have to figure that out
0: yep. yeah so uh until then see ya see ya, see ya.